ladies and gentlemen, in your lifetime and in my lifetime, we have gone all the way in the culture from Madonna singing Papa Don't Preach into the churches and the churches are saying preachers don't preach. The time will come when they will have itching ears and they will turn their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables myths. But Paul gives a word concerning apostasy and with a note of urgency he says to the young preacher, Preach the word! That's what God wants the preacher to do in this day. Philippians chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3, uh, you know, I'm glad God brings us through the fires of life, aren't you? He, he's always faithful, and God knows preachers and their families go through enough, and our wives go through the same things we do, and uh, I'm glad God brings us through. Amen. We're not victims, are we? We're victors. Won't you look with me in Philippians chapter number 3. Will you stand with us? We'll read 11 verses from uh, this text uh, today. Uh, Philippians chapter number 3, beginning verse number 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Uh, to write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I know. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, the Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And do count them but dumb that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which through, through the faith of Christ the righteousness which is of God by faith. That I may know him of the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, and be made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Let's pray and you may be seated. Father, as we come to you in Jesus' name, we want to thank you and praise you for all that you've done. Dear God, thank you for Brother John's message and Lord, how you touched our heart, reminded us of your protection and your provision. Lord, you always have a people in every dispensation and every age. Lord, you always have a faithful witness that will never change. And dear Father, we're grateful this morning that you give us this opportunity. And so now I pray, dear Lord, would you touch your unworthy servant and fill us by your spirit and use us for your glory. Dear Father, I pray encourage the hearts of God's men and Lord, help us to help them. Dear Father, all is vain unless the Spirit of God helps us and assists us this morning. Dear Father, we bless your name and thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name we pray. You may be seated. The idea here in verse number one is, is very interesting when Paul is addressing this church of Philippi. 
This is some 30 years after uh, his conversion. And God has used the Apostle Paul in, in a great way. Now, I think that we can all identify with a great transformation that took place when Saul of Tarsus became Paul the Apostle. The Lord saved us by that same grace and transformed our lives and we're not what we used to be. I think oftentimes we forget who we were before God saved us. We weren't wearing a shirt and a tie and a suit coat. We weren't the pastor of a church. As a matter of fact, we were probably the smallest, most insignificant member of the church. But here's what I'm trying to say to you. God transforms our life by His miraculous, marvelous grace. And we're not the same as what we used to be. Uh, we're not what we should be, but we're not what we used to be. And so when Paul begins to write this letter, he, he begins chapter number 3 with the idea of the word final. Now here's the idea. You can laugh if you want to, but we're all like Paul when we use this word finally in the pulpit as we preach. Uh, you're not really preaching unless you've said, I'm coming to the close at least three or four times by the end of your sermon. And so here Paul is saying finally, he, he is not ready to end this letter. Matter of fact, he's 60 verses in. He's still got 44 verses to go. He's already halfway through the book, but he's got half a book left to write. And so what I'm saying is his word finally is not a word of conclusion. It is a word of continuation. In other words, he's got something else to say. In essence, you take this one word finally, and what you find out real quickly is it is a transition of thought. Paul is saying, all right, now let's stop for a moment and consider this subject. You'll find him again, Philippians chapter number 4, verse number 8. He's going to say finally again. So the finally in chapter 3, he's not done. And then the finally in chapter 4, verse 8, he's still telling the story. He's just telling it in a different manner. Uh, in chapter number 3, he's telling us that Christ must be the object and the desire of everything that we do. But when you go to chapter number 4, he begins to talk about the peace of God and the presence of God and the purity of God that gives us the ability to live the Christian life. I I'm simply saying to you this. When we open this book of the Bible, the book of Philippians, we're acquainted with joy from the first chapter to the last chapter. Yeah. I guess Guy King put it well. This is a book about a fellowship of joy. Yeah. God's people ought to have joy in their life. They're all to be rejoicing in the house of God. In this day of modern church, we've got three kinds of joy. I think we have an artificial joy. People are putting it on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think we have an absolute joy. There's just no joy at all in the church. And then I believe that what God desires for the church, what we find in Philippians, is authentic joy. It's the real thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And you understand that's what keeps us going from day to day. And the joy of the Lord is what motivates us to do what we do. I've been low like you. I've been as far down as any preacher can go. And I felt like the sun would never shine again. And it seemed like the old dark clouds were there to stay. But then the sun shined one morning. The sun broke again. And the weeping that endured for the night broke when the sun kissed my face in the early hours of the morning. And I knew that those trials didn't come to stay, that God let them pass. But during the nighttime, during the storm, during the trials, I bet there's still joy in your soul when the sun's not shining, just like it is when the sun is in full bright moon. 
All I'm saying to you is we all have joy. I really believe that the problem with our churches, for the most part, has already been reiterated in previous messages in our fellowship. We just really like the joy. I think our people oftentimes see preachers that are under the load, under the stress of the ministry. I think instead of exuberant, exhilarating, exciting joy, they're seeing the contrary. They're seeing the pressure and the load. God never intended it to be that way. Uh, he told his disciples how to live, how to have victory, how to have joy. And in the midst of it all, if they did not have it, it wasn't his fault. The fault lay squarely upon their shoulders. Uh, I think we're the ones that makes a personal decision whether we have joy or not. So fire brethren doesn't mean to stand, just we're continuing the thought. But then he moves this thought in this direction. The next words we find is rejoice in the Lord. Amen. Now I'm not going to elaborate on it. It's a wonderful subject to rejoice in. I mean, we rejoice in our prosperity and our blessings and all the goodness of God that's been bestowed upon us. But it will all eventually pass away. We're just here for a moment of time and then we'll be gone. Here's all I'm saying. To rejoice in the Lord is to rejoice in the everlasting, the unending. Something that will transcend you. That will go beyond you. That will space out into eternity future. I'm glad we can rejoice in the Lord. Amen. Oh, it's a wonderful truth. Then you come down to verse number two and he yells three times the word beware. It's almost like he's sticking that side on the outside of a fence when there's a ferocious dog on the inside of a fence. Be, beware, don't step inside of this fence. Now he tells us what to beware of. And the first thing he says is dogs. He's referring to Judaizers who's trying to take the law of God and put people back under bondage. You know, I think when you look at this idea of dogs, it's pretty well conveyed in the New Testament is uh, very clearly that these dogs are filthy animals. They are animals that are of ill repute. These dogs are difficult individuals that we have to deal with. Matter of fact, the Word of God uh, gives us a clear indication that these dogs are false teachers. That they're doing some things with the law that is really unlawful, if you will. Uh, they're trying to resurrect the law over God's people. And so he says, beware of dogs, people who uh, try to govern over you, try to make law. And I, I don't want to say this loosely, I am saying it loosely, but I've, uh, I've had people I felt like that uh, was teaching false doctrine in the church and, and pushing their own secret and private agendas. I even felt like that I know a few folks who had an agenda that no doctrine involved at all that was a dog. Yeah. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. And somebody needs to call them what they are and lay it out like it is. Yeah. I mean, God puts us in this world to make a difference and gives us a vision and a desire and a determination to do what He would have us do. And then somehow some uh, mossy backed individual comes along and tries to tell us we're going to have to change God's plan because it's going to fit their budget and their idealism. And too many people is, is unhealthy for the church. And of course, if you have a missionary join your church or an evangelist join your church, or neighbor and pastor, they are threatened and intimidated by the fact somebody else is in the church. It's got a heart for God, a mind to what they're doing. Yeah. And I just call them dogs as well. Yeah. And then Paul says, you beware of dogs. He said, beware of evil 
evil workers. Beware of concision. I think a lot of times the circumstances we deal with uh, makes it very difficult for us to have any joy. Especially the presence of dogs and evil workers and uh, concision, all of these things when they are present makes it difficult to have joy. My choir director helps me often. He says to me, Brother Johnny, smile, you know you hurt. Get on the pulpit and, and smile, you know you're going through it. And it's a reminder. God's people need to see us at least smiling and having joy in our heart and leaning on the Lord in difficult times. It's not always easy to have joy. But here's the thing. We're, we're not rejoicing in our sadness. We're rejoicing in our Savior. We're not rejoicing in our churches. We're rejoicing in Christ. We're, we're not rejoicing in our membership, but rather the Master. We're not rejoicing in the things of this world like what the attendance was Sunday. We are rejoicing in an almighty God sitting high and looking down low upon us who desperately need His help. That's what gives you joy when things are down and yeah. difficult. That's what breathes life into you in the middle of the summer when everybody's going on vacation. The next week you think it's going to be better and it's worse than the week before. I'm telling you, joy comes from the Lord. That's what keeps us going. If we ever get a hold of the fact that the Lord is using us and blessed us and given us a privilege regardless of who's there what's being done and what's going on in our midst. It, it'll help us to shout all the way to glory uh, when we realize it's not about us. It is all about Him. And I think that's what Paul is telling the church of Philippi. He's saying to them if your joy is where it needs to be no matter what comes like verse number 2, you can rejoice in the Lord. I believe it's important that we reflect on him. That's what I want to do for a moment. I just want to say what I think Paul is saying. Uh, take the whole world, but give him Jesus. Uh, let, let me explain that a little further. Uh, after he issues warning, he begins to uncover the problem. He deals with the dogs. He deals with the concision. He deals with the evil workers. But then he starts uncovering his portfolio and telling the story of his life. I want you to notice that for a moment. Uh, he talks about his circumcision. Yeah. Verse number five. Circumcised the eighth day. Uh, this very possibly could have took place when he was 13. It may not be uh, necessarily there. It, as long as uh, he was getting near adulthood, this circumcision would take place. He said, I've been circumcised like other Jews. Uh, he goes on to say, of the stock of Israel, what he's doing is tying his lineage all the way back to the first Israel, Jacob. And he's saying that I go all the way back. I can trace my lineage to Jacob. And then he talks about being of the stock of, or the tribe of Benjamin. Uh, you know, it's, it's an amazing thing that Paul is talking about this. You understand, before the Lord changed his life, his name was Saul. Saul was of the tribe of Benjamin just like uh, he was. And so I'm sure that maybe his parents named him Saul because of what tribe he was born of and the elite group that he belonged to. Uh, so he could say all of these things. 
He talks about his origin. He talks about the tribe of Benjamin. And then he begins to tell other things that in essence he's revealing about himself. He's going to really set the reader up. The believer in Philippi. He's saying, listen, you claim all of these things. Listen to my life story. Let me tell you my biography. Let me give you everything that has happened in my life. And where I've been and what I've done and where I came from. And he's setting them up because he's fixing to allow the house to crumble when he takes away everything that man seems to put stock in and he crushes it under the power of an almighty Christ. And what he's saying is all of the things of this world does not mean anything in comparison to the Lord Jesus. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter what part of town you came from. It doesn't matter who your parents are. What he's saying is when you come before Christ, we are all found ungodly, unworthy sinners in need of help. He's saying this is my story about my life. Oh, he could tell a story. Here's one thing he said. He said, I was Pharisee of a Pharisee. He said, I was a Pharisee. Now, I know we get down on the Pharisees, but you understand there was a select group of people. Some 6,000 of them. These were people lived by moral code. They had the right desire in their heart, morality. They just took things out of context and went haywire with it. Here's what I'm saying to you. Paul is saying, I was a Pharisee. In other words, we look in the New Testament, we look at the Pharisees, they're always giving Jesus a hard time. But you've got to understand, their religion was contrary to Christ's life. There was a conflict, there was a contrast, and because of that vast difference, they were in essence at war with Jesus. Kind of like Democrats and Republicans. <laughs> By the way, somebody asked me before, did I hear Bill Clinton speak? And I said, one phrase. Are you better than he was four years ago? And I said, no. Click the remote. <laughs> By the way, how could you believe him? Yeah. Somebody said before service he didn't inhale. <laughs> he didn't commit any improprieties. Amen. And his, his running mate, I believe at that time, he invented the internet and global warming. I mean, you won't believe this man. All I'm saying to you is this. We live in difficult days. Uh, we live in days where people are almost depending on everything under heaven to get them to heaven. And I think that Paul is saying it is not where you came from, who your family is, what you possess that makes you fit for the kingdom of heaven. He said, I was a Pharisee. I was a part of that unique group of fundamentalists. And he reflects on his life as a Pharisee. I can see Paul with tears in his eyes. Because you understand the life of a Pharisee is not only painful, but it's isolated. When you resurrect something above the grace of God, it is, a, it is an agenda that makes you, uh, puts you alone, puts you by yourself. And so Paul begins to talk about this with tears in his eyes. He said, concerning zeal, I persecuted the church. Uh, he's talking about the outflow of that Pharisee's. Old brother Ed Blue, he, he liked preaching about those Pharisees. I brought his Bible with me to the pulpit. I, I've been preaching out of it the last few weeks. I read his notes. He says, here's what you need to look at. Go over to Galatians chapter number 5. So that's what we'll do. Let's look at Galatians chapter number 5, verse number 1. I stole this from him, Brian. 
Galatians 5, verse number 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not untangled again in the yoke of bondage. Look at verse number 3. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. And what Christ is doing is saying, you can't keep it, you can't fulfill it, you are a debtor to it all, you are condemned before God, and, and boast in your circumcision, but you're a lawbreaker before God. You're still going to need grace. He said, Christ, in verse number four, has become of no effect on you, whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. That shouldn't upset you. We believe in eternal security. But you understand, if you want to live by the law, every dot, every pronouncement, you'll never make it. And so in, in that context, if you try to live by the law, you are falling from grace. You will never be able uh, to claim grace in the law. Well, listen, I'm not trying to dismiss the law. The more law is intact, I'm just saying to you, why not trust the grace of God that delivered us and changed our life? I think oftentimes we lean on the law, we get more miserable, uh, we get more vindictive, we get ugly, uh, we start legislating it. But when we lean on grace, we get sweeter. When we love the law, myself. I want to get it out into the whole world. And Paul is saying listen, here is what my life's been about and it did not work. Here's the way he explains it. And he says it this way. He said, but what things verse number seven were gained to me those I counted for loss. Yea, doubtless I counted all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but done that I may win Christ. Oh, those are good verses. Paul is uncovering his priorities. Uh, he says Jesus is everything. Jesus is all. Jesus is the central theme of my life. In verse number 7, he's talking about his gain being lost. In verse number 8, he's talking about his loss being gained. He's laying it all before God. And here's what he's in essence saying. I gave God my rags and he gave me his righteousness. He, he's saying something like this. I gave God a box full of ashes and God gave me his glorious beauty. He, he's saying in essence, I gave him my excrement. All of that dung and all of that loss. He said, God, God turned around and gave me his excellence. Now Paul is saying, take this whole world. But he said, you can give me Jesus. That'll be enough for this world. He, he talks about his priorities. Let me just close a few of Let's come to verse number 10, if you will. He said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sons be made conformal in this day. And here's what I want to call your attention to. Go back to chapter number 9 of the book of Acts, the Damascus Road experience. And Paul and Jesus have a confrontation. And so he says to him, who art thou? His first question. Second question, what wilt thou have to do? And some writers have said he's going to ask this question for the rest of his life. Yeah. Amen. Some said in Philippians 3.10 is an indication uh, that he wants to know more about Jesus. Listen, you know Jesus, but knowing more about him requires dedication, determination, commitment, and an effort. And I don't want to just know about him. I want to know more about him. I don't want to just preach about him. I want to experience him. I just don't want to talk about him. I want to pray and talk with him. says first 
said this life of Jesus is a life of total sufficiency. He said that I may know him, and then he uses these words, the power of his resurrection. You do understand when the Lord uses the word power, he means power. I mean, he's got more than EPB's got. Yes, sir. He's got more than Georgia Power's got. He hangs the stars in heaven and gives them the ability to shine. He sets a sun in its socket and allows it to radiate day by day. He puts the moon in the sky to reflect the light of the sun. He's got power. Dear friend, when you're talking about power, we're talking about exceeding abundant power. When we pray, we believe we have power with God. But when we preach, we believe we have power with God. When we witness, we believe we have power with God. It is life where the power has been flipped on and total sufficiency is at our disposal. Here's the idea of this, this matter of knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection. You understand that Paul is talking about tapping into something. Amen. It's always wonderful when you can tap into something. I'm sure it's a blessing to a missionary when they pull that RV in our place and they plug into that 50 amp breaker. Amen. Amen. And, and listen, uh, these meetings like this, that's what we do. We pull our spiritual RV into yeah. this meeting and we plug into the power outlet and God fills our soul and encourages us and sends us back to our family and our church family and our body of believers that God has given us. And it reminds us there's enough power to do the job Amen. he called us to do. Uh, what, it, what this is, it's a matter of personal appropriation. Paul said, I want to know him personally and the power of his resurrection. I want to feel it. I want to know it. I want to experience it. I want to live it. I don't want to talk about it. He, he talks about needing power to overcome temptation. Now listen, dear friend. I have an accountability partner when I sit behind that computer. But I need more than an accountability partner. I need the power of his resurrection. Oh, there's things that happen in life where you're alone. And I try to carry somebody with me every day of my life. When I go to town, when I'm doing a running errand, I try to have somebody with me. It's not always the case. Uh, but even when nobody is with me, I want to know that I have the power of his resurrection to overcome temptation. Amen. When somebody walks up to church and they're out of God's will, six miles away from God, and says one of those stupid statements that you feel like rearing back and knocking the breath out of him. I need the power of his resurrection. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Right. You, you know, you know what I'm talking about. One of those things where all of the wind you've been gathering that morning just got deflated before you got in the pulpit. Yeah. They just said the most horrible thing to you. Told you their family was breaking up. I told you their children uh, is pregnant or uh, their children run away from home or they tell you their children's on drugs and you get ready to preach and all that's on your mind is what happened to that family or that precious individual that you loved and cared for. All I'm saying to you is I need a little power that morning uh, to get over what's been said and what's been done. Amen. And sometimes it's not them. I'm going to balance this thing out. Sometimes it's me. I'm sitting back there in the study behind the desk thinking to myself, I don't want to preach to this bunch. They don't listen. It was last night. It was one of those nights. Good crowd at church. God blessed. 
And uh, I, sit, I let, sit, sat there and let three people discourage me in the first part of the message. They're rolling their eyes, they're crossing their arms, they're looking around. I said, well, I'm either going to preach, I'm going to close this thing in prayer and we'll go to the house. So I tell you, I felt a wind blow through. You ever felt that? And I just started preaching like the house was on fire and preaching like everybody in the house was a sinner. And some old boy that's been coming three weeks walks down the aisle. Calvin leads him to Christ. And brother, it juiced me up. It helped me. Now you say, why? Well, because the power of resurrection got us over, over a low spot. We need the power of his resurrection. You just got to put it in place. It's your perspective and your view of things. I heard a story about a, a Frenchman who, who decided to become English. He, he liked the English way of life, and so he, he crossed over, became a citizen of England. Somebody said to him, what's the difference of your citizenship with England versus being a Frenchman? He said, well, instead of losing the Bible of Waterloo, I won't. <laughs> Somebody asked me, well, what's the difference in knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection? I didn't lose, I won. I'm an overcomer. I'm not overcome. I'm a victor, not a victim. I'm telling you, it's a life of total sufficiency. Who are you looking to? And where's your strength coming from? Let me give you this, and I'm almost done. It's a life of personal suffering. He said fellowship of his suffering. Uh, joint participation. You don't hear that much on television ministry. You don't hear that in the faith movement or the Rama Word Church. They're going to speak to the darkness and remove it. Speak to the sickness and remove it. What are you going to do when somebody dies? I mean, we do all have to die eventually. And so when somebody dies, what do you say then? Your faith wasn't good enough. It wasn't strong enough. It wasn't powerful enough. This life's a life of suffering. Yes. And we as men of God suffer on a daily basis. We, we suffer from week to week. Nobody understands what preachers go through. Nobody knows the price they pay. Uh, nobody knows the suffering and the, uh, the inadequacies that we feel. All I'm saying to you is this. Paul identifies and says, let me tell you a story about my life. What he does not tell in the passage of Scripture is Paul, very possibly, Saul of Tarsus came from wealthy family. But by enjoying himself to Christ, he's going to lose his family wealth. Yeah, yeah. They would disown him and turn their backs upon him because he's following what they consider a cult leader. In Christianity, they consider a cult. Paul is losing his religious standing. You remember he, he sat at the feet of Gamaliel and there's a, a, a possible assumption that it, there was some kind of chair awaiting Paul. Uh, there was some kind of place awaiting Paul. Had he continued on his religious path, he would teach other religious people. But when Paul won Christ, he lost his seat. Uh, he lost the well. And then the idea of his family ties, listen, there's nothing harder to do than to break family ties. Do you love Jesus more than you love family? Do you love Jesus more than anything else? I like what my dear brother said. He said a taste of Jesus makes the taste of anything else seem bitter. The comparison was something very spiritual, the man of pudding and sweet tea. Amen? Amen. 
barbecue, Brother Billy. Amen. You, you take a big spoon of that banana pudding, put it in your mouth, and you try to drink a glass of sweet tea, and it'll taste bitter. If you ever win Christ, if you ever win Christ, anything close to being good and admirable and respectable in this world will seem bitter in comparison to him. Oh, he's sweet, he's wonderful, and he's powerful. He's what helps you get through those lonely times when you look back and tears come to your eyes and the devil says to you, look at what you could have been. Uh, look at what you could have had. Look at where you could have sat. Look at who you could have taught. People would have admired you instead of stoning you. They would have loved you instead of calling you names. But here's the idea. He said in order to be loved with Jesus, you've got to be a fellowshipper of his suffering. Now, let me explain it in natural terms. Now why not? You, you know what it is to love your wife and for your wife to love you. When she's hurting, you're hurting. When you're hurting, she's hurting. And you can almost feel the pain. But when Paul talks about knowing him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, I think in essence he's saying, when Jesus is suffering, you're suffering. When the cause of Christ has been hindered or hampered, it, it hinders and it hampers you. Uh, you have a heart for God and a heart for the things of God. You love the people of God. That's why it's impossible to hate your brother when you love Jesus. Because we are one flesh and one body. We belong to him. We can't hate one another. Uh, preachers are strange, but we are. We love bad news on one another. We love it. And we say it with great dignity and righteous indignation. Did you hear what happened to brother so-and-so? The problem is you didn't pray for it. God knows I've been there. Indignation. I hate what our new brother did in Indiana. But I tried my best to pray for he and his wife. But you know what happens? We throw everybody under the bus. Yeah. And we're done. Yeah. Try that with your daughters and your sons. Yes. Yeah. Pray and hope some preacher will reach out and love them yes. in spite of the mess they've made of their life. Amen. Right Wait till he comes home and it's in your family with your brother, your sister, your mom and daddy. And then let's see if you have the compassion or if you just set the same standard on them that you set for everybody else. I tell you what, we need to tell the truth. We need to stand for what's right. We need to be good day in and day out. But if we got a double standard for our family and then for the church, I think something's really wrong with that. I enjoyed being with him and good man. And he resigned his church because his man didn't send him on a mission trip again the second year. And he called and said, Hey, Brother John, I want to come stop by. And, you let me, and I said, Listen, I love you, my brother. But I said, You told me you had problems in Indiana after two years and you had to leave Indiana. And now you've had problems after a year over because somebody didn't go along with you. And I said, I'm sorry, you made your bed hard laid. I've had to learn the hard way. I've had to pay a price for bad decision making. 
All I'm saying to you is I'm held accountable. And I think some of this mess that goes on where we throw in the towel, we quit, we get our feelings hurt. It's not about Jesus Christ. It is all about us. And dear friend, our skin is too thin. A chip hangs around on our shoulder ready to be knocked off. It is all about him. I mean, wouldn't it be wonderful if somebody offends you Sunday morning and the power of resurrection kicks in? You're a fellowship of his suffering. Uh, you're a joint participator with Christ. And you just smile and go right on. They say something bad about you. And you say something good about them. Uh, you return good for evil. You don't return evil for evil. I'm telling you, it gets good when the power of resurrection kicks in and we fellowship with him himself. He says he made conformable unto his death. He talks about a life of absolute selflessness. Yeah. That's the problem. Right. Yes. Yes. Let me give you this. Talks about the word conformable unto his death. What he's saying is a transformed life. God's saving an altar. But daily we die to this flesh. Yes. And I think the words of Dr. Lee Robertson. Just a few miles away from here where he stood for many years. They echo and they echo and they echo. As long as we live. Die to self. Die to self. Die to self. Dear friend, you may not work like I do, but I've got reminders before I even get to the pulpit. I've got that reminder, the word finished spoken, but the back of his own picture for silver. I've got reminders before I face anybody to die to this flesh. Because God knows I can't take much. And my party has to be Christ and not myself. I think Paul had it right. He said, For I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lived in me. Can I tell you? Five years old, my dad and mother took us to an old-fashioned revival meeting. The five-year-old boy, I got saved. My daddy dealt with me from the Word of God the night before. The following night, at church in Eddieville, Kentucky, I came to know the Lord as my Savior. He changed my life. Mama and dad gave me and my brother a godly home to grow up in. At the age of ten, God called me to preach. What a wonderful day. Amen. I've spent the last 25 years of my life doing the very best I could to preach and trying to figure out how to do it. I have been blessed of the Lord. But looking back at my whole life, my heritage, and my wonderful parents, it's all lost in comparison to the excellency of Christ. None of that caused me to win, but it pointed me to one that helped me win. Amen. 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 And I will be transformed daily by His grace. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your blessing. Thank you for your presence. We love you. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The Just Good Preaching Podcast is an Unseen Hand Media production. This podcast is on all the most popular podcasting apps, so be sure to subscribe. And while you're at it, be sure to stop over on iTunes or Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review so that others can find these messages. For more information about the Just Good Preaching podcast and many other podcasts, go to ronniebrown.net forward slash unseen. That is ronniebrown.net forward slash unseen. Thank you so much for listening.